When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. Hi, dear listeners. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I'm Liv, your hostess with the mostest. That's a dumb phrase. I don't know why I said it. Anyway, today is a very special episode. As I mentioned to you all in previous episodes, I recently recorded with the wonderful podcast Fuckboys of Literature. On her show, we covered the maniacal Jane Eyre. It was incredibly fun, and we shit all over Rochester endlessly, Team Attic Wife. 
But at the same time, the host of Fuckboys of Lit, Emily Edwards, and I, we recorded an episode for this very podcast. That's right. It's a crossover of sorts because I don't usually have guests on, nor do I usually discuss books in detail, unless you're, unless I'm talking about my love of Song of Achilles. But no, today is different. Though I suppose not so different because Emily and I had a really fun discussion of Madeline Miller's book, Circe. And that is what I'm about to play for you today. So without any further rambling, here is the very special crossover episode. Witchiest Witch, a discussion of Madeline Miller's Circe, with Emily Edwards of Fuckboys of Lit. So I have with me Emily Edwards of the Fuckboys of Literature podcast. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm so good. How are you? Good. (laughs) Just inside the curtain, we're talking like we just started speaking, even though we've been talking for a half an hour. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds totally natural. The magic of podcasting. (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, we decided to uh, talk about the book Circe today because we were already recording Emily's podcast, which I will be directing you to listen to when it comes out as well. Um, But we thought, why not pick a book that is both mythological and that we have both read so we did not have to do extra research. Exactly. And conveniently, it is also full of fuckboys. Oh boy, is it. Hit every mark. (laughs) It sure did. So... Yeah, I mean, we can talk about, we'll talk about from a sort of mythological standpoint as well as the fuckboys. Now, as everyone who listens to my podcast knows, I do love Odysseus. I know he can be a fuckboy. And I think that it's just that out of all the Greek mythology, he is definitely one of the least horrible. And so I I'm called to him, even though he is still a little bit horrible. He's still a little bit horrible. He's certainly more horrible in this book, too, obviously, because it's coming at it from a different perspective. Exactly. At the same time, I would argue he's one of the least horrible men, even in this book. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. I think he has more than uh, most men in especially ancient literature. He has and shows like genuine emotion towards people. And I think his driving force of eventually wanting to get back to his actual life is a very redeeming aspect of him. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got his awful things, but yeah, he does just want to go home. Mm-hmm. He's just willing to get caught up with women along the way because they're there. You and know, isn't that nice? I guess it's the culture, you know? It is. They, I mean, it was not, he was not the only one. He's actually out of the hero so-called of the trojan war i think he does the least cheating on his wife oh was uh i mean i don't honestly know like was marriage like pretty fluid back then for men or for men that's what yeah definitely not for women don't be crazy (laughs) god but there's always that nice little caveat in there oh exactly everything men were allowed to do women were not that's the thing of ancient greece no, they're supposed to sit in front of their loom and, and weave for 35 years until their husbands show up. Exactly. Just weave and unweave as Penelope did, and then you're good. Exactly. And then you're fine. Yeah. Yeah, no, he, I mean, I think that they, they were pretty, I don't know that the women necessarily were told how open the men were, but I mean, it, certainly during the Trojan War, they were there for 10 years and they very openly all had concubines they called them yeah. just hanging out in their tents whether captured or not i think usually captured but 
Gotcha. Because that was one thing that I actually really did appreciate about Cersei jumping straight to the end when she and spoilers guys like and Penelope kind of like meet up. Penelope's just kind of like, oh, you're here. Okay. Yeah. I guess I have to accept this. And there is like a tension between them. And so they're just kind of like, yeah, this. <sighs> we'll live with the shit he dealt us and then just kind of go along with it. Yeah, just kind of, I mean, what more could they do, I guess. But I also think they probably both did acknowledge a bit of, well, you could be worse. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess I, if he had to cheat on me with someone and it was with you, that's all right. Could have yeah, been better. Like, I like to think that if it had been Calypso who showed up, that maybe yeah. it wouldn't have been quite so nice. Because she yeah. seemed much more obnoxious and difficult to deal with than, than That's Cersei. That's definitely true. And also, I'm, again, not like super well-read on myths, but Calypso, I always got the impression that she imprisoned Odysseus as opposed yeah. to like it being him choosing or consenting to stay there. Yeah, I think the idea is that he kind of decided to stay at some point. Because or or at some point he was a willing participant, and then I think she just kept him on, or he was gotcha. a willing participant until he wanted to go, and then she wouldn't let him. Something like that, where I don't yeah. think he was always not into it. But I think after you know he was there for what was it seven eight years or something, then he yeah, was, was like okay, yeah, like, yeah, I think I'm done. He was now. like time to wrap this up, and she's like no, I'm gonna keep you exactly. And that's when things start to get uh, morally dubious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've had to sort of address that while it's very it's very hard to address it because obviously in the myths, no one is talking about whether or not the men had consensual sex because right. it's just assumed that, well, the woman was there and so he liked it. Or, yeah, so why wouldn't know. he? Yeah, exactly. They're, you know, that they didn't really have the concept of that. It was... Which I think even us today are still trying to like really oh, absolutely. get better at the concept of that. So it's yeah. near impossible to interpret it in the myths. Yeah. Just 4,000 years of toxicity and mistaking people's actual emotions towards things. Exactly. Why can't we undo it in two years, guys? <laughs> yeah, especially because, you know, everyone definitely wants to undo it. And there certainly isn't half the world, if not more, being awful about it. Mm -hmm. And loving the power structures, the whole thing. Exactly. Well, anyway, Cersei. <laughs> yes, exactly. So beyond just me yammering on about the Odyssey, because I know it better. Um, I really was interested in the Hermes aspect of the book. As her basically just having a boy toy, which was kind of fun. Yeah, Hermes has always been kind of like my favorite god and i don't know what that says about me because he is kind of just like a meddlesome like puckish character who just likes to poke people and get them in trouble absolutely he's very fun and he doesn't have a lot of stories that are about him he ha yeah, he's, he's just sort like of a tangential character exactly like just having fun or just causing trouble i couldn't even find any real proof that that relationship existed in the myths like i think it it probably was sort of maybe hinted at and madeline miller just had fun with it gotcha. um but uh, and i could be wrong i uh, as i've said on the podcast and out uh, it's very hard to find deep information about cersei and i think because it was because she was sort of a mysterious witch mm -hmm. but 
there's minimal myths about her. There's just sort of she's dropped into some versions. I didn't even realize she was part of the Medea myth until I found other versions that that featured her more heavily. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And it, I, I really enjoyed that part of the book too. Of I mean, I I think it, I, that was one of my complaints where I actually think that could have been much longer. It seemed very sort of just as if it was sort of an afterthought. Yeah, that it might have just been shoehorned in there. Yeah, I. I Apologies, listeners, who are all deeply, deeply obsessed with Cersei. But I I wanted it to be something else, I guess. I felt that it was a lot of individual t- short myths kind of sandwiched all together into a story. I actually found when, as soon as Odysseus showed up is when I was much more invested because it became mm-hmm. a more coherent narrative, I think. No, I think that makes sense. It felt to me like a picaresque novel where every chapter was just a different story strung together. Absolutely. Which doesn't super bother me. I actually really like that sort of narrative storytelling method. But you like, I definitely agree that it hit its stride once she had a narrative or a story that took longer than, you know, a couple thousand words to tell. Yeah. And I think that if if those individual little stories hadn't been myths that I know and then therefore somewhat distracted me with me going, was Cersei really a part of this? Yeah. Or th- I think that I would have been able to appreciate it more. Like, I don't think it would have bothered me if I, if I didn't have the familiarity that I do. No, that makes sense. Like, I uh, thankfully, I don't have a very, you know, strong background in mythology. And honestly, I didn't know most of the myths coming up. Like, I didn't no, you know, I'd even heard people talk about Prometheus, but I'd never really gotten to the nitty gritty of what he actually did. Like, I knew he was getting his eyes plucked out or his liver plucked out. But other than that, I didn't know what Prometheus had done in mythology. So to read that was very interesting and to get that perspective on it. But I honest, but was Cersei actually involved in the actual Prometheus myth as you knew it? That's another example of I'm not sure. That gotcha. one I haven't dug into as deeply. Um, I'd like to more. There's there's so much more on Prometheus that I haven't covered. So I don't want to say that I haven't found anything. I just haven't gotcha. looked. That makes sense. Yeah. But I mean, from what I understood in the basic level, the when I covered that story, I covered that story earlier in the podcast when I didn't do as heavy research as I do now. Gotcha. Um, and I, as far as I understood it, I think it was Heracles who freed him. And oh, okay. he was sort of the only feature in it that I could really tell. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that one, um, the Pasiphae and the Minotaur mm-hmm. threw me. I know Pasiphae is Cersei's sister. That I mm. actually didn't know until I, you know, read this book and then looked into it after. But I have not found any evidence that suggests that Cersei was there for the birth of the Minotaur. And that characterization of Pasiphae was really interesting to me, sort of making her this of a horrible figure yeah she's truly grotesque yeah and she's it's pretty disturbing and i I did like that because certainly most women in mythology are not ever given that level of depth yeah but it was kind of jarring as well to think oh okay this this is a very different version of this story that i've known because so often in Greek myth, like mythology, like women are just acted upon and they don't make choices or, you know, make actions happen. So I had never heard of 
um, Glaucus, or I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and like how he sort of came into existence and the um, actual sort of pantheon of like nymphs essentially made <laughs> more sense to me on how like demigods and other magical creatures or magical beings came to be in thanks to like Madeline Miller's explanation than they had ever really made sense to me previously. Yeah, I think it I think it's an incredible book for that, for that sort of delving into so many myths in one book for people who mm-hmm. aren't as familiar. The I actually didn't know about Glaucus and Scylla until this and it that part is from the mythology, there are different versions of how Glaucus became what he is and how Scylla became what he is, but it's certainly one of them, which is gotcha. interesting. Okay, because yeah. I remembered Scylla from the Odyssey. Yeah, and I, you know, but there's just really no explanation of what she is or it is and how it came to be in the text that I remember reading. It was absolutely just kind of like, and here's a monster. Yeah, Which, you know, it, it's Greek mythology. You kind of expect that just like, ah, there's a monster and there's no explanation. But it was fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I did find that one interesting, though, because it, I'm trying to remember back to the myths. I should have at least reread my um, research on it, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, as far as I remember, the myths don't feature Cersei in it that much. So I think when I was reading the book, I, I actually was almost disappointed in how they made her the villain as if yeah it had to be another woman doing this because i yeah. don't think that's really part of it i uh, the the part of cersei falling in love with glaucus is not certainly not as much from the myth as it is gotcha her okay mind. Yeah. yeah i was shocked at how petty miller made her in yeah. the beginning of the book because she's really just incredibly irrational like i understand that like part of the story is like she's almost like a second class whatever magical being she is yeah and because she's just not as pretty she's somehow not as pretty or like as valued as her siblings so i understood that but i guess i just was a little shocked at just like how much vengeance she took on other characters because she was ill-treated by her father well I agree completely. And that part, the ill treatment, the um, lack of beauty, Mm -hmm. the second class citizenry isn't from mythology. Oh, okay. So that was like a modern choice. Yeah. And I think she victimized her more than was necessary. Yeah. I mean, considering just how many, um, you know, Greek mythological characters, you know, do petty things just for, well, like shits and giggles, then I just didn't understand why she actually needed that as much motivation as Miller gave her in the beginning of the book. Like she can just be powerful and doing this for funsies. Yeah, she doesn't have to be as victimized as she was. And yeah, Yeah. as angry and sort of hurt by things that I mean, I don't want to connect her to someone we haven't talked about yet and is not connected to this episode, but she reminds me of Jane Eyre. Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. She just, yeah, she just kind of is offended. Yeah. She's just yeah. angry and yeah. feels like she is the yeah. biggest victim. Yeah, plain and forgotten, like literally 90% of the people in the world, and you're just going to be angry and cruel about it. Exactly. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's, uh, no, I hadn't thought about the connection until just now, but uh, now I, I feel a lot of similarities between those no. two. 
<laughs> Which will reference in the uh, episode that you're guesting on for my podcast. Exactly. <laughs> so everyone has to listen to both. That's just the way it's going to be. Sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, I just found it interesting that she she was just sort of, a, yeah, less, not less sympathetic, but I, I just didn't connect with her in a way that I wanted to. Yeah. I mean, I commend Miller for getting people to actually, like, really honestly care about these myths. Um, I think it's very difficult for a lot of people. You were either, like, super enthralled with your Greek mythology unit in, like, high school or middle school, or you, like, really sincerely didn't get it. And I really enjoyed it, but I never, like, focused on it, really. But um, I love, obviously, classic literature that's based on mythology, like most classic literature actually is. So I appreciated her parsing out and making the actual characters fascinating for people, which I, you know, anybody who can get someone reading, especially something that's literally based on ancient characters, fantastic. Um, And I'm impressed at how many people are enjoying this character that's like, a woman that's not, you know, wronged in the sense that like a lot of female characters are on like Game of Thrones and things like that. She has a lot of power. She has a lot of agency and people really connect with it. I'm just not sure about why she had to make it Cersei. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I wanted, I think I just wanted a stronger woman. I mean, she does have a lot of agency, but she just... Until sort of more towards the end, she's just not as badass as I wanted her to be. Yeah, um, I'm not sure how much of it is from the myths that she basically had to learn her magic. And I was surprised that she was as powerless as she was when she was young. Yeah, I can't find information about that family being born with Mm -hmm. much magic. uh, I don't know much about Pasiphae being magical and Aetes, her brother, he is known for having sort of a, I'm trying to think of what was on his island, but he was very, he had, he was certainly different, mm-hmm. but the actual magic they have, um, that Molly, I've found like brief references, but I can't find anything further. Yeah. And we're currently, I actually just put a, a call out in the last episode about getting some um, more magical books, uh, yeah. books about the magic in in ancient Greece, because mm-hmm. I really want to know more and I can't find it from what yeah. I have now. So, yeah, um, I like connected with like the ter- the fact that her magic was terrestrial, like it was based in plants, it was based in nature. And I really, really appreciated that. But it felt more like a modern European concept of witchcraft than I or like magic than I had assumed for Greek mythology. Yeah, I agree. It it seemed a bit more. Yeah, she really had to work for it in a way that I would have imagined Circe was sort of more naturally yeah uh, versed in it and it it seemed a little bit less connected to her i mean it was she could use it in a way that others couldn't but at the same time Mm -hmm. it didn't seem to but it's like plant derived you know whereas like if a person had known that this root or this plant could do the things that it did then and even like it seemed almost like a mortal could acquire that power which i would have liked to have seen her with more sort of supernatural and extraterrestrial power 
Yeah, absolutely. Even the the initial transformation that started at all, Glaucus, he, as far mm-hmm. as I can tell, was not transformed by her. It was more of a spontaneous Greek mythological transformation. This guy suddenly became not what he was. Yeah. Yeah, like kind of fish. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was weird. just sort of big question mark. Yeah, his is interesting. Um, so because his story is much more about him and Scylla and doesn't really feature much gotcha. in the realm of Circe. And so, yeah, I think she just wanted to kind of put uh, yeah. Circe into these stories and be able to sort of connect so many more myths in one. But I think coming from Song of Achilles, I just, I wanted something different, which is totally yeah. on me. But Song of Achilles was so deeply about these two characters and it didn't, mm-hmm. I mean, and that this is because it's the Odyssey, so it didn't need to jump around, but it didn't feel so outside of the mythology yeah i was super unfamiliar with achilles and patrocles or patroclus i'm not sure which one it is um thank you Um, (laughs) you know when you're reading things in your head and your brain pronounces it one way and you're like wait this is gonna be wrong i'm sure absolutely (laughs) if i didn't have to say it like a hundred times in my loving tone that i've started saying his name I, i wouldn't be nearly as familiar yeah, it, it was just beautiful. And I admitted earlier when we were chatting that I haven't finished it yet because I could feel the end coming and I didn't want it. So I'm literally, I was checking my Kindle last night. I'm like 80% of the way through the book. And I'm like, nope, not going to finish that last 20%. I don't don't think I can handle it. I did that live in the podcast where I had read almost all of it and then had to finish it for the oh, no. show. And... Because I felt the exact same way. Because I know exactly what was going to happen. You can't yeah. hide it. It's the Iliad. You know, Achilles yeah. dies. That's kind of his thing. Mm-hmm. And 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 before that, Patroclus dies. And so you're like, oh my god, no. I just don't want to see that happen to this nope. character I love so much. Because you're just so in those characters' lives. Like, from the first ten pages yeah. I read of that book, I was just... Oh my god, I couldn't believe I hadn't read it earlier. It's truly one of the best romance novels I've ever read in my life. Absolutely, same, without question. Yeah. It, it, it just, drew me into their relationship in a completely different way from most things I've read. Yeah, like I have had to read a lot of Victorian romance for my podcast, and it it just makes me so irrationally angry. And to have this romantic story was just it was stunningly beautiful yeah and i mean i every want more moment, yeah every moment of being in their lives and just feeling what patroclus feels you're like oh my god i just mm-hmm. can't even handle this yeah and just to the to the growing understanding of where he finds himself and where he knows he doesn't belong i thought was just the absolute just I, I wish more people did that with mythology because it's all about finding your place in the universe, you know, and trying to explain what's happening in the world around you. And I just thought it was just stunningly, stunningly done for two people who, you know, weren't on the earth for that long. Yeah. Well, and the way that they make you feel for Achilles, too, while not sugarcoating that he is shitty. Yeah. He's you know? a total asshole. Yeah, but, but still, like, yeah. oh, did I ever love him after that? Mm-hmm. And I think what I love so much about that and what I 
found a bit lacking in Cersei is that almost everything in that book is from the mythology, whether it be mm-hmm. the Iliad or the surrounding mythology of the Trojan War and Achilles. But yeah, other than you know, they don't really explicitly point out that the the two were together, even though it's pretty obvious because mm-hmm. the words are always translated as beloved. So yeah. you're like, well, I think they were okay. in love. Yeah. But uh, aside from that, almost every uh, plot point is from the mythology. And I think that's what I love so much is taking the real myth and making it into this most incredible, well-told yeah. love story. Anything that makes the subtext text and finally pulls it out but accurately we will point out but accurately like i i think is beautiful and it helps move like literature forward to being more inclusive absolutely and i i'll admit too i have a problem with things that don't have uh, that don't stick to accuracy like Mm -hmm. there's artistic choice and, and literary choice and I just am bad at accepting that. I want, especially Greek mythological things, I want them to be right. And I complain about that a lot, often in movies, because there isn't a single movie that even remotely gets the myths right, even though the myths are amazing and they should have movies that are accurate. Yeah. But so I just, I I want, I want accuracy. And so I found myself while reading Circe just consistently questioning the accuracy. Not that I knew whether it was right or wrong, but it was... It was all a question mark for me, and I and I wasn't as involved in the story as I wanted to be mm-hmm. because I was consistently like, could she really be in all these myths? Could that really happen? And yeah, I, could, I don't know. I haven't heard that, that really before. Yeah, exactly. And then not wanting to just go research it right away. And also, it's very hard with those smaller characters and smaller stories. Yeah. There's just not that much out there. Yeah. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. 
Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The one thing that I did remember from actually reading her in Greek myths was the turning men into pigs story. Yes. (laughs) And I'm glad that they gave her some sort of motivation for doing that. That wasn't just like spite for the hell of it. Yeah. Remind me just because I've only I've read the Odyssey so recently. Yeah. That I'm going to forget the book. So basically, you know, I'll Odysseus and his men are stranded on her island, quote, maybe accidentally. She's, And then she basically, they come to attack her because they realize that it's only just one woman living on the island. And so she realizes what's about to happen. She's about to be sexually assaulted by a large group of men. And so she basically poisons their wine and turns them into pigs. Great. That's completely accurate. And that's what I love, too. So I think that as soon as she got to the Odyssey, it was like, okay, let's just retell the Odyssey, but in a more fun way. But it was nice to have it from from the actual victim perspective. Absolutely. That's what I mean. Like, so that's what I like is that they could make it, she could make it sort of that well retold, but it was still accurate. Yeah. Which is what I liked about Song of Achilles is that it could be that beautiful while still being right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Cersei in the Odyssey is still, she's a very sympathetic character, which is nice. Which is nice. You know, she's been banished to this island and doesn't have a whole lot of interaction with anybody outside of Hermes, correct? (laughs) And her lions, I guess, in this. But she does have those nymphs, but in in Cersei, she seems to hate them. Yeah. Man, I just like any lady who's living by herself with her cats. Absolutely. I, <laughs> I mean, and I, what I like in the Odyssey is she, as far as I can tell, she's not banished there. It's gotcha. much more of a choice, which I think I appreciate. It's just like, yeah. no, I just want to live on this island alone. Gotcha. It's yeah, like, okay, I, I totally get Cersei, that. Cersei, I, I liked the idea that she was always emotionally apart from her actual society, which is kind of like the text that they give her in the beginning of the book. And I was kind of ambivalent about the banishment. It seemed normal for, uh, you know, a group of gods to do, just be like, you're not allowed here anymore. So it seemed 
natural for the character or a natural motivation for the plot point but i didn't know that she wasn't actually like banished in the myth she just kind of chose it and her choosing to live alone on an island with her cats uh, it makes me like her a lot more yeah that's what i think and i mean it's again it's not to say that there isn't a version where she was banished i just want to know all the versions all the time but i don't ever want to but there are so many altered like little bits and pieces that I never want to sound too confident in anything in Greek mythology. But yeah, that makes sense. Because I, I tried to read all of, you know, like the big famous, like Edith Hamilton, you know, like mythology book that you're supposed to read in high school that I never did. Um, and it was went the wrong high school. Yeah. <laughs> it was surprisingly scant on information, mm-hmm. which I wasn't expecting. And hers is one of the best. It's just purely a lack of super concise details yeah which is i mean and i feel (laughs) this i really respond to because of the podcast where i have people asking me to tell certain stories all the time and i just want to i have a suggestion page uh, or a form on my website that i can't really respond to and i don't have the time to respond to them anyway but yeah there's always people being like this character that character and all i want to say is i'm really sorry there isn't a story there's a character there's a passing reference to a character and that is it there's not enough for me to make an episode about it yeah i can just regurgitate the information you already know that's yeah yeah sorry yeah they're all like oh i really want to know more about this and i'm like you really want to know more because there isn't more which is why you haven't been able to find it like (laughs) i can only all (laughs) yeah i sadly i don't have that many additional resources beyond i just have a lot of books that most people just don't need that many mythological books so i have more but they're almost all the same yeah there's a a nice (gasps) yeah i want to know more about so much (laughs) but that's what happens when something was developed thousands of years ago and barely written down and when it was written down that was lost because most things fell apart and you know it would be such an asshole i'm gonna be like did you know there's less than a thousand people who still worship the greek god (laughs) well exactly but there are some there are some but yeah i mean you know (laughs) well inside information there yeah people um but no there are just yeah there's just so it's been so long they're just it's not that there wasn't that information back then but it's that mm-hmm. we don't have it now yeah i mean I, yeah i'm not a particularly well educated religious person on literally any religion so it seems like there's there's those people in every religion though it's just like i don't know who that person is but they're needed for this story so yeah just a necessary character yeah but that's it, it happens. yeah well, and even what I find fascinating and infuriating is is how much we know we've lost. Yeah. So, like, Greek tragedy. We have surviving works from only three tragedians. But they, like, it, this the practice but, of performing tragedies spanned hundreds of years. Oh. And, and we have three men's works and <laughs> nobody else's. I don't think I'd ever gotten the context of the gravity of that. Yes, it's unbelievable. I mean, astounding. I just thought those were the three you read because those are the three that had always been on syllabi for the last like hundred years. No, we have 
a few fragments, I think, from other people. And we have fragments of of dramas that those men wrote that we don't have the remaining works. But that's it. It's we names exist. You can walk through even just the ruins um, below the Acropolis. They've sort of housed a bunch of Mm -hmm. marble slabs and things. And there will be a slab that used to have the head of of a Greek dramatist there. We don't know anything he wrote. We might even have names for works, but we don't have the works themselves. Or there's astounding. Absolutely, it's so infuriating, but just so interesting to think about. I mean, yeah. yeah. No, I had just assumed, again, because not super well educated in the classics, because um, I went to Rome a couple years ago, and I had just assumed that all that stuff was gone because, you know, uh, Napoleon took it and decided what was worthy and what wasn't and just kind of like went to the rest of it. And I and thought it, it was much more modern of a culling than, you know, ancient of a culling. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know when it happened. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of, it doesn't exist now, regardless of who made a decision. But yeah. I mean, I think most of it is is purely time. time. And because they wrote on often papyrus and it didn't yeah. last. Not all of it lasted. And so there's just so little we have. Or, you know, they, they got lost, you know, just a few hundred years ago because not enough people copied them, you right. know, because yeah. it was all hand copying of things. And, and I don't know the full details. I haven't. Or yeah. or I forget what I learned in my Greek drama class. It was such a good class. But but yeah, no, I mean, th- there are only three men and there and hundreds of years. And that's just drama. I mean, the same applies to comedy, but I think we have right. slightly I think more. We have more or less. Yeah, I mean, we only have one really f- famous comedy author, uh, drama- or I guess he wouldn't be a dramatist, but anyway. I can't even think of a Greek comedy off the top of my head. Aristophanes is the only one I can think of off the top of my head. So he wrote The Frogs, which is, right. I think, the most famous. He wrote Lysistrata, too, which is the one I've mm-hmm. covered and the one that's more fun. Um, I haven't I haven't actually read The Frogs, but but he's known mostly for The Frogs in the Clouds. Gotcha. But um, I'm sure there are more. But yeah, I mean, even just just Man. the tragedies they're so amazing and you think god how many more were they and what did they talk about what myths did they talk about that maybe yeah. those myths are lost or or what local what was valuable at that time period exactly and so much of what they would write about was it would be a myth but it would be connected to what was going on uh, politically at the time mm-hmm. and that's fascinating and Oh, was such a gut punch. I I really sincerely didn't know that. Yeah, I could think about it forever and just like dwell forever on Uh how much I want us to learn. That is such a loss. Yeah. I'm so upset right now. (laughs) I'm sorry. I've ruined everything. But no, it's it. that's the thing. And and you just think about that really specific example and then how much more we don't know we don't know. Yeah. And so I guess that brings me around to just the responsibility of when we read – things that are very compelling, but based on mythology, I feel like we perhaps need to talk about Circe and Song of Achilles of like, this part is text, this part is not text, like we need to be more responsible so it doesn't get necessarily rewritten or inaccurately rewritten. That's how I feel. And maybe not everyone does because, you know, things do change over time. But I, I think it's really interesting to, to still be really aware of what what they believed yeah. and what they talked about back then, because it's just yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Like, I'm not a moron. I know, like, when I watch, like, Clash of the Titans, 
that's not what happened, you know, like in the story. <gasps> but um, but, but not like, everyone you does. Have... That's the oh, thing. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I mean, oh. Clash of the Titans is an awful example. But in any of those <laughs> movies, they're all so wrong and and people just assume they're right. I mean, Disney's Hercules is a great and yeah. bad example of that. Yeah. I love talking it's, about that movie with people just as an aside, because oh, whenever you talk about movie. it, people just go, I love that movie. But James Woods is in it. <laughs> I know. So many people send me gifts of him all the time. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but now I can't enjoy Hades. Like, I know maybe you no. don't ever see what he tweets, but I now can't enjoy yeah. Hades. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. It's such a bummer. It's such yeah. a bummer. Just ruined. Great character. Worst. I'm trying to think back to Cersei because I read it too long ago now. Is it text that she ended up with, what's his name, Telemachus or Telemachus? God, did she end up with him? I think I blocked that out. Yeah. They end up like being a couple at the end. Oh, I'm pretty sure that's not. Yeah. That felt a little bit squidgy and too convenient. Yeah. I think that's just another example of why I just so wanted that book to be different i feel like i'm breaking the hearts of so many of my listeners now by saying all this i'd i'd made such a point of not no, saying it when i, I was just like talking you've myself. also changed my mind on it a little bit because i enjoyed reading it while i was reading it but now thinking back on how it was presented and just what how much of uh life and how much of the story again like happened to her versus um, her making it happen yeah. as someone who's really obsessed with changing the roles of women in literature just you can only she can only do so much being a woman who's trapped on an island and i know there's no changing that in the mythology but there could be though because she didn't need to be trapped like mm-hmm. as far as i know she was never trapped and yeah i just think i think it would so have been much a more. totally different novel or modern novel if she had chosen to go to the island. Yeah. Yeah. Chosen to go, chosen to do yeah. all the things she did. Everything happened to her, yeah. you know, and maybe that was kind of a point she was making. I mean, she did take things upon herself at the very end, but oh, I just wanted a stronger woman in mythology because yeah. I too, that's, I mean... I want that in most things I read is just stronger mm-hmm. women, but especially in mythology, I just think that if you're going to write a modern novel about a woman in mythology and you're going to make her generally stronger than women were, like, why not make her yeah. a complete badass? Yeah. And it, to me, at the end, it it always felt like when she essentially, you know, um, hooks up with Telemachus and decides that they're going to be happily ever after on her island. And then Penelope kind of like moves in with them and just kind of accepts that this is, you know, her son is basically taking up with her dead husband's ex-girlfriend. To me, I was just kind of like, wow, Penelope is the strongest person in this book. Yeah. And and I I'll stand by. I think Penelope's one of the strongest women in Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. I love Penelope, but it, yeah, I mean, and I'm I'm now just like thinking back to. I think that I finished reading it and probably just closed it and went, ugh, because yeah. I knew I didn't. I honestly didn't really want to finish reading it because I just was not as in it as I wanted to be. But having this podcast, I needed to. Yeah, obviously. 
I wonder if people go back and reread it or when it's turned into a show, if their emotions will change about it. That is why I've been hesitant to do exactly what we're doing, Mm -hmm. because I don't want to ruin it for anybody. I don't want to change their opinions if they form them themselves. Yeah. So we'll see. (laughs) At least you have someone being honest with you of just going like, well, now thinking back on it, that seemed a little bit funny. (laughs) That's exactly it. I knew I couldn't do this alone. It would have... It wouldn't yeah. have gone well. It just would have been uncomfortable. Yeah. So you um, can at reply both of us on yeah. Twitter with your, your angry responses. <laughs> Thanks, Emily. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. So appreciated. That's a sincere thank you that sounded sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, I'm just it's really it's much nicer to have somebody else to to talk to about it when it comes to a book that everyone did love and I I respect everyone's right to love it. You love it yeah. for exactly whatever you want. These are mm-hmm. these are my opinions on it and how I feel based on how I feel about women in yeah, everything. Because my <laughs> husband actually read it first. And he was like, I've found this book. I think you'll really like it. It's a sort of a retelling of the Odyssey from the, you know, the viewpoint of Cersei. And I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. He's like, but just keep in mind, you know, the actual, you know, uh, events of the actual Odyssey. And he's like you're going to feel interesting things about this. So at least he knew that it wasn't perfect when he was recommending it to me. And other than the end, I think that the Odyssey parts are the most, the best. Like I didn't, I really wasn't enjoying it until Odysseus arrived. And then I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, no, I'm in it now. I'm in it. And then the end hit and I was like, oh, I'm out. (laughs) And I feel awkward with that part just because uh, it's been a long time since I finished the Odyssey I've been reading it as I do the episodes Mm -hmm. um, because that's the easiest way for me to write but I haven't actually finished it since university so I could be totally wrong and Cersei could end up with Telemachus but I don't remember that and maybe I you know just don't but we'll see I can honestly tell you that it caught me off guard just simply from a storytelling perspective yeah that it seemed more natural to me that she would just say like, and now I will just, you know, stay on my island and stop kind of like getting involved with anybody. I think that's you what know? I wanted her to do. Yeah, just just, just go back. No bout. Yeah, just be done. Like, no, this is my thing. I, I enjoy my lions and my mm-hmm. island and it can just stay yeah. like that. Yeah. Maybe I'll have Hermes stop by every once in a while when I'm feeling yeah. frustrated, you know? Give me the the hot gossip and call it a day. Like, that's... I was kind of hoping that would be enough for her. Yeah! So we spent the last 45 minutes basically just, you know, advocating for a room of your own with a couple cats. Guys, like, when in doubt, just invest in yourself for a little while well exactly throw a dog in there if you like yeah exactly you yourself some pets hey you know what if if it's good enough for for gods to have pets i think everybody should have them (sighs) yeah i just i wanted it to be different song of achilles was so good and then i found out she was writing about cersei and i had such high hopes yeah and I think that was definitely a part of it. I think I maybe would have appreciated Cersei more if I hadn't so recently read Song of Achilles and yeah. so wanted it to be a badass, powerful witch doing everything she wanted to do all the time. Yeah. I'd like to reread it and Song of Achilles um, just to get more of the detail and see how 
it was threaded together because it did sort of feel like I'm on an island and I woke up one morning and this happened and it didn't seem like the the um, connections were as drawn as I wanted them to be. Yeah, that's the thing. I just it felt it, it felt more contrived to mm-hmm. me, more yeah. forced. I'm curious to see what I mean, obviously, now having lived in Hollywood for a very long time and, you know, being the consumer of movies, obviously, they're going to change things for the screen. Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious to see what they're going to change. Yeah, and I really hope I think that because it's based on a book, it should end up um, in better shape than most other mythological movies. True. Because My Kingdom for a good mythological movie. Yeah. Uh, they they don't exist. Hopefully Madeline Miller signed a contract where she has a lot of cult- yes. um, creative control. Yeah, I really hope she had that kind of clout. I wonder, but I hope. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking with me uh, about Cersei. And I would like to apologize to- again if I have burst anyone's bubble about this book. But I didn't do it alone. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm happy to uh, join you as a comrade in arms of going, okay, think it over again. Maybe yeah. I'll reread. I so rarely do these, or I guess this is technically the first that's really an episode of my podcast where we're just talking about about something with another person. And that's, yeah. that's lovely. Well, I really appreciate you having me. It's been really fun. Great. Well, thank you. And uh, everyone, please go listen to Fuckboys of Literature. Uh, also because it has the word fuck in it in the title so you know that i like it (laughs) and uh where can everyone find you i am on twitter under two names uh obviously you can follow us on fuckboys of lit that's b-o-i-s or my personal twitter which is at ms emily edwards wonderful so everyone go follow and go listen to that podcast and uh know that i will be on an episode as well which probably will come out at a similar time to this one so head right over and listen to me rant about jane Eyre. when the taliban banned music in afghanistan Millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. 
I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.